Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So we're going to open uh, this morning with some scripture from Joshua 6. And it's a little bit longer than kind of some of the verses we read, but I'm a big believer uh, in reading scripture at church. So, uh, you know, kind of bear with me here, but all scripture uh, is divinely inspired. And it's just, I don't know, there's just something really beautiful and powerful about hearing scripture when you're with a body of believers. So uh, this one's going to go on for a little bit, but that's okay. We're in Joshua chapter six. We are continuing our series, Son of None, where we look at uh, various parts of Joshua's journey as he is now the leader of the Israelites having taken over for Moses. They are across the river and they are now at Jericho. Uh-oh, we got some high walls that we got to deal with here. So let's jump in to Joshua 6, starting at verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. I'm going to pause right there. I always have like a 300 
vibe on that verse, like, shout the Lord has given you, like, I just like that, you know, I read it kind of, kind of Ben Stein flatline there, but man, that one was like, oh, yeah, all right, sorry, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord, only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Let's pray over the scripture. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us a way to connect with the personality of who you are, with your character through ancient stories like this, through the parables of your son. Thank you for the scripture that we were able to read today. And I pray that, that my words and my interpretation of some of this would be pleasing to your ears, Father. And so let hearts be open and let ears be open this morning. Amen. So at some point around the age of 14 or 15, as I was stumbling awkwardly into my teenage years, I received some really good advice from my uncle. Now, my uncle was a very straight shooter, and him and I were never particularly close. We never really had any heart-to-heart -heart talks or anything like that, and so maybe that's why this moment sticks out to me so much. One time at a family gathering, he turns to me and he says, if you are ever somewhere and it looks like everyone is having a little too much fun. They probably are, and you need to turn tail and get the heck out of there. In other words, when you get that feeling inside that the party has gone on a little too long, when the music is just a little too loud, and when at least a few folks are getting a little too wild, it is past time to leave. When you are in a situation where your internal alarm bells start going off, when your conscience is waving red flags, and when the Holy Spirit is trying to knock you upside your head, you better get up and start moving. Do something. Because sticking around and not doing anything should not be an option. Now I can say with much confidence that heeding this advice has kept me out of a lot of trouble. But I can also say that with much proof that not heeding this advice has caused me to hit trouble head on in a big way and leave a lot of damage in the wake. I want to tell you a story about a woman named Sharon Watkins. One summer, Sharon, who was a CPA 
accepted an exciting new position as VP of accounting for the company that she was working for. This company was constantly lauded as one of the top companies in America, known for being fast-paced and innovative. It was experiencing upward growth at a groundbreaking pace. As a result of this success, the top executives were on magazine covers and removers and shakers in the political world. The company and its execs were at the very top of American wealth, power, and influence. And Sharon was very excited to be entering this new role. But very quickly, she began to discover some accounting irregularities. Not just little oopsies here and there, but that over 50% of the company's finances had been grossly misrepresented or exaggerated. And she knew then in August of 2001 that the company likely could not survive. At that point, it was only a matter of time. That company, many of you may remember it, was Enron. So Sharon alerted the top executives and they knew that she was right. They knew that they were headed for unavoidable disaster. Even still, they could not reconcile in their minds how arguably one of the top companies in the U.S., maybe one of the top companies in the entire world, could possibly crumble. Even though the facts were unmistakably pointing towards deep embedded corruption and ultimate collapse, they chose to put their heads in the sand and keep the money coming in while simply hoping for the best. Inevitably, in October and November of 2001, stock prices plummeted. And by the first week of December, Enron declared bankruptcy. Just weeks before Christmas, and remember, this is right after 9-11, thousands of people were laid off at Enron. Tens of thousands who had nothing to do with the corruption lost all of their retirement and all of their life savings. The collateral damage from the fall of Enron was enormous. In January of 2002, Sharon's records and her memos, her red flags and her alarm bells that she had put in writing, thankfully, were discovered in the congressional investigation and they were key in prosecuting and convicting those at the top who had ignored the glaring problems staring at them right in the face. Now let's consider an alternate history where the CEOs of Enron realized the inevitable consequences and actually took action. According to Sharon Watkins, if they would have acted when she first blew the whistle, the company may not have stood as it once did, but it likely would have survived. Sharon has said many times since then that the top brass likely knew that there were issues long before 2001 and could have turned that ship around had they just had the moral integrity to do so. Let's transition back to Jericho for a moment. 
Like Enron, probably everybody in this room already knew how the story was going to end. We've, we've heard these stories many times. But let's rewind the tape for a moment and see how this catastrophe may have been avoided. Let's go back to Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. And this is Rahab the prostitute talking to the Israeli spies that she had been helping. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and the earth below. So what that tells me is that the leaders of Jericho knew. They knew all about the Israelites and the miracles of God. They knew that their walls were no match for the all-powerful God of Israel, and they still did nothing. They did not heed the warnings. The Israelites were circling the city, and they could hear the horns for six days. Six days. And they did nothing. Jericho was known even in that time to be one of the oldest cities in existence. Its walls were possibly thousands of years old already at this point in the Bible. It was considered to be impenetrable. But over the years, the city was built on other layers of its old self uh, until it became a atop this kind of mound of different layers of older parts of the city, it was not the most firm foundation. The walls themselves prevented the city from handling its population growth, so they had to build homes into the walls. People even buried their loved ones into the wall since there was nowhere else to bury them. Talk about skeletons in your closet. <laughs> All right, back to business here. The walls appeared to be indestructible because from the outside, that was the perception. From the reputation of this city that had stood for thousands of years, you would have no reason to think otherwise. Some scholars and scientists even theorize that by this time, the integrity of the walls were so weakened that the walls came down from the shouts of the Israelites much in the same way that an opera singer can break a wine glass. So let's consider for a moment an alternate history where the leaders of Jericho faced the facts of the coming destruction right in front of their faces and act. 
Consider what may have happened if the leaders of Jericho immediately surrendered and worshiped God. What would have happened if they would have faced the inevitability of their current path and did something, anything to course correct? Of course, we'll never know that because they did nothing and they were completely destroyed. Which leads me to something else that I want to touch on this morning. Not taking action when God is clearly opposed to the situation that you are in always causes collateral damage. Not taking action when God is clearly opposed to the situation that you are in always causes collateral damage. If you are at that kind of crazy party that my uncle alluded to and you wait too long to leave before the cops come, guess what? You and some other people that you brought might get scooped up in the ensuing popo party crash. If you are working for that company and some folks at the top decide to continually ignore signs of shady business practices so the stock prices can stay high, you and many others may end up being unemployed and without retirement. And if you, as a citizen of Jericho, hear of the news that the people of an all-powerful God are just outside your city gates and nothing is done, your fate may already be sealed. The Bible gives us example after example where innocent people were destroyed due to someone else opposing God's will. The consequences of sin do not isolate themselves around one person. There is always collateral damage. Conversely, God will honor you when you listen to the Spirit and do what is right. So let's look at what happened to both Rahab and Sharon, who were smart enough to do the right thing, even when everyone else wasn't. Before the fall of Jericho, Rahab had hidden and helped the Israeli spies that had come to scope the place out in advance of the attack. And here's what happened to her. We're going to read from chapter 6, starting at verse 22. Chapter 6, starting at verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all that belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. So doing the right thing kept Rahab and her family out of trouble. Not only that, but this citizen of Jericho would have the honor of being in the direct lineage of the Messiah born into the nation that she aided. Likewise, Sharon the VP of accounting in the company that was the center of the largest 
corporate fraud scandal in American history was 2002's Time Magazine Person of the Year, and she avoided the lengthy prison sentences of her fellow Enron higher-ups. On a side note, I find it interesting that in both of these historically and spiritually significant situations, it was a woman who was the only one bold enough to stand up for what was right against cowardly men in high positions. Let us men who by number overwhelmingly dominate leadership positions within corporate America and the church take note of these examples. Is it time to ask yourself if you've been hanging around a bad situation just a little too long? Have you been endorsing bad behavior with your silence? Are you watching someone you care about foolishly heading towards destruction and doing nothing? Don't wait around to take action if the Spirit is telling you to act. Don't wait around for everyone in your proximity to become collateral damage. And don't oppose God with your procrastination or your willful ignorance. Do something. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of awesome power. You are truth. You are justice. You are the source of all that is good. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us along the right path. And Father, if there was someone in this room listening to this right now that is opposing you with their inaction, please God, show them your mercy and speak to them before the collapse. Give them the chance to redeem themselves like you did for Rahab. Father, Lord over our lives, thank you for your justice. Thank you for your mercy. Amen. Folks, the most clear example that we have of ignored warnings is the reactions to the ministry of Jesus. He came to earth and warned the religious elites about the error of their ways. But rather than change their hearts, they murdered him on a cross to try and protect their sinful power structure. This was the price that the Son of God paid for our sins and our transgressions and our failures to act. If you know this to be true, like I do, and you want to stop opposing God with your inaction, I want you to talk to me when I come off the stage.
I want you to come talk to me about what it looks like to do the right thing and submit to what God has planned for your life. Come and talk to me about what it's like to live a life by the example of Jesus. Come talk to me about shedding your sin and becoming a part of this family of believers. And it's not just this family, the family of believers that is worldwide. Come join us. I'm going to be right over there under the whiteboard. If the Spirit moves you to come talk to me, I'll be there ready to pray with you. Let's worship him.